this third episode, I'll be speaking with Travis Taylor, CEO of Spot On Finance. I equate, you know, the gang lifestyle to an addiction. You're addicted to the power, you're addicted to the strength, you're addicted to the life, you're addicted to the money. All Everything that comes from that, you become blinded and you believe this is in fact my family, that these people actually care about me. Travis, thanks for being here. Thanks for taking the time. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure for being here and, and having an opportunity to not only share uh, the journey of my family, but uh, the journey of my brother for redemption and and how Defy was a contributing factor in his growth and and hopefully the, the maturation. And when he comes home, uh, it'll be vital, uh, the skills that he learned through Defy uh, to prevent him from ever being lost to the system again. So I'm very happy and honored to be here and I appreciate the chance to tell our family story. Great, I appreciate that. Um, you know, before we get started, just to kind of break the ice a little bit, if you could see any artist, musical artist, live, live or dead, front row, who would it be? <laughs> uh, we, we, that, that's a tough one, that's a tough one. But uh, I'm sure many of your uh, listeners would agree. We'd have to see the greatest of all time. We got to see Tupac live. So, you know, we'll go with Tupac Shakur. If we, if we can't get Tupac tickets, we'll, we'll take the Michael Jackson show too. All right. So either, either one of those, we'll, we'll rock with those. Uh, those are good ones. Yeah, yeah. All eyes on me. Yeah, oh, that's good. That's good. So, um, yeah. So with that, let's kind of, just, you know, break it into here a little bit, you know, who, what, when, where, why of Travis, how you landed in the Springs. Yeah. I don't know. You and I have become friends, but I don't know your story yeah. intimately um, as I've known some of my other guests. Um, so, you know, just kind of, you know, kind of give us the story of, right. you know, your childhood, what it was like with your brothers and, and, you know, kind of tell what happened and then, you know, where you are today here in the Springs and. And we'll just kind of, you yeah. know, kind of go back and forth. Yeah, with that. that's solid. Um, so, you know, my my story is not, um, it's not one that that is filled entirely with the pain. The pain that we've experienced is only the last fifteen years. Uh, my family is my mom and dad. They're still married now, going in over uh, forty-seven years of marriage. Uh, so I grew up. In a two-parent home, uh, my father was in the Air Force and my mother was a, a registered dietitian. So we came from a stable background. Uh, it's uh, I'm the oldest boy. I have a sister and three younger brothers. Darius is the the one that we'll be talking about uh, predominantly most of today. But uh, yeah, we came from. We traveled around the world. We were blessed enough to um, you know see some of uh, the things throughout England and Germany and. Uh, we were over in France for a little while. So as, as we grew, uh, my parents had us on military bases. So we, we lived in a very sheltered environment. Um, we didn't really experience what the normal everyday life is for a kid here in America, right? You just, you just don't. Uh, military bases, they tend to be um, uh, very inclusive. Uh, it's very built. The military is very big into family. Uh, family unity, family structure. Uh, so what happened to us is over time, you would think 
you know, an environment like that would, would definitely breed success. And it, it did on some, some uh, levels. Uh, but what it also did was kind of held us back. You know, we, we wound up being those kids that saw movies and, you know, had cousins that had certain lifestyles in different uh, cities. My mother's from Miami, Florida. So we had cousins that grew up in the inner city of Miami. And we kind of gravitated to that, right? Uh, even though we had the exposure of the military bases, we didn't have that excitement, that, that you know, that lure, if you will. So growing up, uh, we began to uh, reach out and look for different things. Like all kids, uh, we struggled for our own self-identities. And I think that's a lot of what uh, took me and my brothers on, on our path is we were, we, we had each other, but that was all we knew, right? And then when we saw, you know, the TV commercials and the tough guys, you know, we, we started going, well, hey, I could be one of those tough guys too, right? So we joined certain affiliations and uh, those, those affiliations started out with just a group of kids, right? Uh, myself, uh, my little brother Darius, who we're, we're going to get into and talk to a little bit about, um, we, we started hanging out with those kids. And those next thing you know, the four or five of us become 10 of us, and then 12 of us. And then you're like, hey, I kind of like this. You know, I like the little bravado that comes with this. I like, I like the way that people look at me in the classroom. I like the way they kind of move out of the way in the hallway. And you become infatuated with this idea of what you think this is. Right, I can understand that. Yeah, and and so you know, as growing up, uh, I started getting a little bit of trouble here and there, um, and my brothers watched that. Right, uh, I have the uh, the sorrow and the pain of knowing that I created that environment in my family's home where it didn't exist before, and my younger brothers looked at it, they saw it, and said, "Hey, if it's good for him." good for me and Darius um, took it to a whole nother level right um, we got back to the States moved to Colorado and um, started out with five or six friends just like it did with me in Germany and before you know it out here they're doing it for real right mm -hmm. and he got into a, a level of trouble I never saw because again I grew up in a, a protected environment military base you do something wrong it's a base commander. Right. And your dad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's still it, a little it, bit old school. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're not, you're not, you're not, you're not facing, <clears throat> you know, prison time. You're not going on probation. You're not dealing with any of that. Right. You know, it's, it's an officer that runs the military installation. He talks to your father's commanding officer, your commanding officers, uh, your father's commanding officer talks to you. Right. Right. You deal with that punishment. Yep. And you move on with your life. Right. Well, my dad was getting out of the military in Colorado. So Darius started doing the things I was doing right as he was transitioning out of that protective bubble into what I like to refer to as the real world right. that had real consequences right. to some of those decisions. And um, he wound up getting involved in an incident that involved an unlicensed handgun. And he wound up being shipped off to the feds. Uh, and that was the first time we lost him. But by that point, he was so embroiled and tied into the, the 
organization and the individuals that he was running around with that the water just seemed to just overwhelm him, right? right. The waves got bigger and it got harder for him to stay above the water. Um, well, part of that too, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, a little bit in that organization lifestyle, gang affiliations, etc. You know, he kind of... The correct term for it. <laughs> <laughs> he, he kind of got... Um, you know, he went to school, so to speak. So he got a badge of honor almost, right, in, in that lifestyle. Absolutely. And, and so that probably, you know, I know it felt bad for a lot of other people, but it, and, and it's just so crazy to think that that is like a badge of honor that in, in that lifestyle and that you've gone in, you met maybe someone higher up because they're in prison, and then you come out and you have a whole different clique almost because, and a whole different, you know, like I say, to use a military term, you've 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 earned a chevron, so to speak. Absolutely, <laughs> you've 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 earned your stripes. And when you put in that quote unquote work, right? Um, anybody that's been in prison, anybody that's listening to this that has lost a member of their family, either to you know the penitentiary or the graveyard, understands that term, putting in work, right? My little brother escalated quickly, right, with inside the gang affiliation that he was part of. And when he put that on his back, you know, that's when we knew we lost him, right? It was one thing to talk and walk it, right? It was one thing to, to idolize it, support it, but but nowhere to draw the line. Right. Nothing thing you, putting on the jacket. Right. It's something else when you put that when you put that coat on and when you take it off and you you know, you're doing your push-ups, everybody in the building knows what you're part of and and what you are before they even open your mouth, you know if I'm a friend or an enemy, right. period. Yep. Um, so when he got that, he went to uh, the federal penitentiary system and, and acclimated quickly. Um, our family has always been taught to be the lead dog. And so when it came to that lifestyle and to that, to that um, way of thinking, he subscribed to it quickly and easily and rose up the food chain. Um, quickly and so for a while there you know we lost him from was uh, 2000 to 2005 we didn't even know him right. you know he spent most of his time either locked down or you know I mean did he doing push-ups right yeah lots of push-ups did you did he ever like reach out to say you know just don't contact me you know, I'm 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 off the grid, so to speak. Just you know, I'm I'm no I'm doing no. This. You know what it what, you, you know. Still had contact with him, but you just didn't really know how to get a hold of him because, like you said, in lockdown, he's in solitary for actions. Was, and it was more like, it was more like, I can equate it to anyone who's ever had a family member uh, addicted to drugs, right? You you listen to the story, hey, you know, alcoholic member in your family, hey, I'm done drinking. It's my fifth DUI. I swear to God, I'm done. You know, they're they're addicted to opioids. Hey, I'm not using it anymore. I'm done. I'm clean. I'm done. I'm clean. Right? And then you bet on them. And you're like, okay, I, I got you. Let's ride. Two weeks later, he done beat somebody up. You know, a, a week after that, he's 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 off to the hole. You know, you're sending letters, but the letters are coming back. Right? They're, the letters are going unanswered. And then you go for the visit, and it's it's the angry guy sitting there you know he's busy looking around the room at who's in the room with you versus actually enjoying the visit with you right so you don't know this guy and and i'm sure you i don't know if you remember him or not but he, he's not a very tall guy but you know 
he did some sit-ups in that place, right? right? So right. he kind of walked with a different type of purpose around the building, yeah. right? So that's what we kept running into, right? It's, I'm, I'm better now. I'm going to get better now. I promise you, psh, something happens, right? So we started to lose faith, started to lose hope. He gets out. Never forget it, as long as I live. Never forget it. Um, looked me in the face, said, yo, I'm, I'm done with all that. I'm better now. I'm going to be okay. He was home four weeks. We didn't even realize he was incarcerated again. We found out um, calling hospitals and jails because he wouldn't answer the phone. He didn't answer the phone for four days. We didn't know where he was. Um, didn't know if somebody had hurt him, killed him. Didn't know what was going on. Four days. My mother, I remember, um, I don't think she slept any of those four days until we finally found him. And of course, um, he had been charged with what ultimately took 44 years of his life in terms of the, the sentence that they gave him. Um, but that's how we learned that. He right. was only home four weeks after being gone for five years. Um, yeah, that's he, a... he made it from uh, April. He got out April 14th and was in custody uh, May 22nd. Wow. So, it's a short turnaround. Very short. And the sad thing about it is, and a lot of people, um, especially in the families, were trying to support uh, our family members through their struggles with addiction. And, and, I, and I equate that. I equate, you know, the gang lifestyle to an addiction. You're addicted to the power. You're addicted to the strength. You're addicted to the life. You're addicted to the money. All, everything that comes from that, you become blinded and you believe this is in fact my family, that these people actually care about me. When in reality, anyone in that- You're just somebody on the food chain. That's it. And, and it, on the inside, it's probably even more prevalent than on the outside, right? Because of that's just what it is in there. So it's that boiler room for creating you know, the pecking order of whose car are you in? You know, what, what affiliation do you have? And, you know, that is just so predatory inside of the prison. And so if you go in and like this, like you're saying, and, and trying to get out, I mean, it's, that's almost, they have their claws in you almost as much as the system has their claws in you. Correct. And so it's, it's a hard thing. I mean, I, I've seen guys try to transition away and, and what it means and, and to go through that. And it's, it's not easy. No. And the, and the worst part about it is when, when this is all you know, right? Some people in there, and this is part of what I saw the development of my brother through Defy. You know, we had to break the cycle of believing, right? When we got to the root of what was going on with him, we found out that my brother was in fact dyslexic. That he struggled to read publicly in school. It made his self-esteem drop. He felt he had lost his power because he couldn't read at the level everybody else could. And so he decided, what? Hey, if you won't respect me, you'll fear me. And a lot of people that involve themselves in gangs and become gang affiliated if they're listening to this 
it goes to a root cause of a loss of family, loss of identity. You know, at some point, someone made me a victim. Whether, and I'm not talking, you know, in, in a heinous way. I'm talking about, you know, somebody made fun of me when I was in class, right? And every time I looked around, I was the dumb kid. Or they made fun of the fact that I had holy clothes on and bad shoes and I didn't know where my dad was or my mom was back in jail. So I became the butt of the jokes. And so I decided, you know what? There's only way, one way to make them stop making me the victim. Make somebody else the victim. Right. Right. And that's what we saw in Darius. It just, it just kept escalating and escalating and escalating. And then, you know, as he was going through the process, uh, we saw him starting to change. Right. He started spending more time in reflection. He wrote these letters and I wanted to bring one to you to just let you see. It was a it was a 14 page letter and I'm, I'm not going to go through all of it because it'll, it'll make me have an emotional moment during your podcast, and, and nobody wants to hear that. Um, but in it, he laid it bare. You know? Right. It, he described every single hurtful thing that he had experienced. Wow. That takes a lot to dig, dig that deep, too, right? And, uh, like, um, reflect on that. I know for me, I... A little different. I, I had to get to my root of what was causing me to be there, um, and you know, dealing with my rage, with my anger, and and find those things that happened uh, in childhood, Marine Corps, PTSD, and, and just like be like, well, I, it happened. I can't stop carrying this around. This is crazy to carry it around and, and allow this to affect my thinking in a way that is going to land me in a place like this. So I had to, I had to, I had to get to that point to learn that. And so it sounded like Darius went through the same thing with the, that process with Defy and right. wrote you guys a letter, which, I mean, that's just amazing to hear. Yeah. And to watch him open up and you probably can relate to this as well. You know, we as people in society, we carry our burdens with us, right? They call it PTSD. That's a new fancy word, post-traumatic stress disorder, right? But, and we equate it to military service hey you know you're like i'm dodging bullets around this place right i got issues from that but it literally could have been you being raised up from a little kid your earliest memory being you know being smacked with a belt buckle yeah and that's and that's what i came home to every day i came home to a person that i loved father mother grandma uncle whoever and, and i was met with violence so i only understood violence I learned how not to care because when I cried or when I was upset at the end of the day, the person that was victimizing me didn't care. See, that's the root cause of it, right? right? You, you felt powerless and you felt like a victim and you decided I'm not going to be a victim anymore, right. period. That's it. And everybody gets to that point. And so through Defy, you know, I watched my brother evolve and change, right? And, and it was... The words to this day, uh, Stacy Putka and and Izzy and you know Bob Omer and the folks over there, Jason Mendelson, his wife, you, everybody that was involved in Defy. Uh, when I saw my brother graduate from Defy, he had, he never graduated from high school. He took a GED. My brother graduated from a college course, right. from Baylor University. <clears throat> Correct. And I watched him get that certificate. And 
I cried in a way that resembled the loss of my grandmother and the birth of my first child. Wow. Right? And he was a completely different person. You saw the light in his eyes. It was the kid that I grew up with. It was the kid that before he had those influences, it was that guy again. Right. It was the funny, gregarious, open, you know, I'm willing to love and receive love. That's the that's the most powerful piece of it. And when you're looking at this family member and you're looking at the process that they have to go through dealing with whatever, you know, society has thrown at with them, you know, you still have the stigma, right, of prison, right? And as a minority, it's even worse, right? Right. Um, we can talk about mass incarceration as a whole other subject on another day. But uh, minority families are forced to live through harsher sentences. Our families are divided and split up. We're more likely to be victims of the very violence perpetrated by a family member. So we become the 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 gerbil, the, the hamster in the wheel, right? Right. We we're we're part of the problem, we're also a victim in the problem. But we're part of the problem, we're part of so keep cycling through in one of the things that I've learned, especially struggling with the family members uh, like myself, is that I understand there's a victim. I, I get that. And I don't detract from anyone whose family member has taken the life of someone else or harmed someone or robbed someone. I don't take away from that. Right? There's a just punishment for that. Correct. But what these courts often don't think about is that there is a family behind that person. That person wasn't always that way, right? And that is the power of redemption. That is the that is the thing that gravitated me, not only to defy, to help defy in any way I could, but also to be part of, you know, the art of redemption and understanding what that program could be because there are people that can be redeemed will never have the opportunity to be free again. Correct. And the mistake you made at 18, right? Changes the, changes the trajectory of your life forever. And, 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 and we don't want to argue about the fact you were high on meth at the time you did it. No one cares about that. Right. It's just the fact that it happened. Right. And now your mother and your sister, and your, they all, they're all struggling with you over a, literally a mistake. Right. Right. And so, you know, as a family member, that's one of the things um, that I'm working on that, 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 um, man. Right. You touched yeah. the nerve there. No, I know. It's, <laughs> it's a deep subject. I, I, I understand. And so, you know, you're, you're going there a little bit. So let's, let's, let's explore that a little bit further. I mean, yeah. that, it's not only the person that does the accident or the crime or, you know, messes up. We, we're all human. We all make mistakes. Some are premeditated. Some are just getting behind the wheel and running a stoplight and, you know, killing somebody. There's all kinds of mistakes that can happen. I'm not trying to take away from, from the fact that we do make mistakes. But the other side of that is forgiveness. Right. And I've seen, like, it's just like people forget that part of humanity is forgiveness. Right. And people forget that... It's not just that person doing the time that made the mistake or, or, or the crime. 
there's a whole family behind that person generally. And you're part of that family that, you know, felt that. And I mean, what was that like a little bit? I mean, that time, I mean, like you're saying, you lost your brother. You didn't know who he was. He was the angry guy. I mean, you know, going in and visiting him and like, you just started to give up on him. Like you said, I right. Mean, and what is that? I mean, that's gotta feel terrible. The, like it have, breaks your heart, man. <clears throat> it's, it's, it, there are no real words to describe that, to, to, Give it an equation. I think um, someone listening to this might be able to um, surmise for a minute. Imagine going into your bathroom, filling your tub full of water, laying face down in the tub, and breathing as deep as you possibly can. Right? Right. That feeling of drowning, that sensation of drowning, begins to overwhelm you. So you start flailing your arms and kicking and screaming. And then imagine at every time you raise your head, somebody's got a hand or a weight and pushing back down on you. That's what it felt like to lose my brother. Wow. There are days, I can tell you just two weeks ago, uh, he's so far away now in Trinidad that it's, it's harder to vi- visit him as it was when he was closer in different areas. But there are days, and he has a unique ability um, to sense it, but there are days that I will just, you're so depressed you're so crying, you know, you, you're, you're lost uh, as a person and you're trying to go on with life, right? Because it's not like he's dead. He's going to be home someday. But this is, this is going on 14 years. It's a long time. Right? And again, I don't take away from what they say he did and what he got convicted. I don't take away that. But you see other people being released and for things where in your mind you go, that's far less than what my brother did. Why can't my brother come home? So losing my brother felt like someone literally took my head and shoved it underwater and then and, and has been holding my legs while I fight to try to get my head above water. Right. And a lot of family members, I think, will attest to, to that. And that's one of the things that I'm, I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about giving family members an opportunity um, to overcome distance. Right. Some people, a lot of people, you know, don't come from good backgrounds where their family has access to money and they have access to, you know, travel to come see somebody that's in prison or have a visit. Uh, You know, a lot of them struggle with something as simple as writing a letter because it's so much, so much pain. Everyone's standing back waiting for the other person to make the first move and and to, to lay their soul bare. But Again, it's like addiction, right? I've heard this story before. You've promised me before, Dad. I'm I'm 17. You went to prison when I was first, you know, when I was still in my mom's stomach. And you've been out, and you came back, you've been out, you came back, you've been out. And you keep promising, but you're never going to change. So, you know, why should I care? So when you're, when you're that person fighting through that while you're incarcerated, trying to reach the family members who, in your eyes have turned their back on you. The family's looking going, well, you're just like you used to be. You're never going to change. That's where something pivotal and critical like Defy comes into place because it gives power to a person who feels like a victim, and that's the person incarcerated. I'm a victim of the system. I'm a victim of my own past failures. I'm a victim of my own past life mistakes. I'm guilty of whatever they charged me with, right? Then you've got the other part that Defy you know, can help with and build. And that's the reconnection to the family, 
to, to learn how to heal from those past mistakes on both sides. Right. Because like I told my brother, I said some things I shouldn't have said. I did some things I didn't do. I brought that gang mentality into my parents' home. Right. It didn't exist before me. So who actually put my brother on this path? Society or his own brother? So that was something I had to lay bare and, and look at and recognize in my own. Like what did what did I do to hurt my own brother, whom I now miss and love so much? Did you did you miss and love him that much? You brought this to him. He knew nothing about it. The kid was growing up in Germany. Right. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right? So those are some of the things. Over there. Yeah. That's, uh, so uh, I'll tell you a quick story. The first day I walked into Defy, uh, I walked into prison with Defy. Um, what was that like, though? I mean, you obviously were, were been to prison visiting before. And so you've gone through, you know, the locking doors behind you and going through, you know, to the transition of getting to the... the you know, the visiting room. And I mean, that's an experience in itself. But what was that like actually getting past the, the just the visiting room and getting into the actual prison, into the gymnasium? And what the did truth? that? Yeah. The truth? Uh, thank God. When I walked through all that and I looked around the room, I looked at those gentlemen in those green suits. I said, thank God. Thank God the jury came back with a not guilty. That's all I could think was Jesus, because this could have been me. This, I'm getting to walk out of a place that had the jury seen it the other way, I'd have been one of those guys in the green suit. Right. It brought the realization to me, the crushing realization, that I needed to be a better person, I could be a better person, and that those gentlemen in the green outfits looked at me and said, work with us. For you to become a better person, just as we are through Defy, it was it was humbling. Uh, it was frightening, and it was sobering because it let me know just how close I came. Art for Redemption is brought to you in partnership with Radio Red Rocks. This is your host, Buck Adams. If you are interested in being a guest on the show, please contact us through artforredemption.com. Art for Redemption is an e-commerce platform for incarcerated artists. We are currently collecting art from artists nationwide. We'll be showcasing the first ever coffee table book for this genre. Check us out at artforredemption.com.